Hello, Texans, and welcome to the podcast. Boy, this is a fun one today. Dan Pastorini is on. Mike Keith is on, voice of the Tennessee Titans. But Dante, let's get to him first. Former Oiler quarterback, wore number seven. You know who else wears number seven for the Houston Texans now. Used to be Kami Fairbairn, and now it's C.J. Stroud, of course, who will play against the Tennessee Titans, and we can't wait. Now, John Harris and I were doing a show from the chairman's reception prior to the Tax Act Texas Bowl, which took place on December 20, what was it, the 7th, 27th, uh, Wednesday night as the Aggies lost to Oklahoma State. Great reception, and Dante was there as a Texas gridiron legend. That's a class of people who are impactful in the history of Texas football in any sort of way. And a new class went in. Dante was in a former class. But we caught up with him, and I love visiting with him. And wait till you hear what he has to say about C.J. Stroud. Now, it's a huge game with the Titans. We'll get to that with Mike Keith in a few moments. But first, Dante, as we visited with him at the reception. Dan, it's great to see you once again here at the reception. You are a Texas gridiron legend. You were inducted in the class years ago. Years ago, yeah, when they, I think when they first started. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's great to be here. It's good to see everybody and see you and... And, uh, you know, talk about old stories and having some good food. Well, we could talk some old stories, and we will, but I want to talk about concussions because you're vaguely familiar with this phenomenon. Because of concussions. (laughs) (laughs) Because of concussions. (laughs) But and they're doing the right things. We're doing better things now, right? Absolutely. I mean, just give us a little example of what it might be like and what happened to you and others because – you guys, the diagnosis process wasn't exactly state of the art no. compared to today. No, you know, and and when you got your bell rung, and if you didn't get right back in there, you were kind of a wuss. So <laughs> your manhood was always challenged by your teammates. But uh, you know, I think the protocol is—I don't know what the exact protocol is, but whatever they're doing to to delay a player to play until he's ready to play. I saw when CJ got got hit and, and how his head hit the ground. I said, man, that's not good. And, you know, he's been held out for a couple of games. I think that's good. This kid is special. And I, I've, I've said this from day one. Uh, I like him. I like his leadership. I like his quality of life, is what, how he lives his life, and how he leads on the field. But what he does as a player, the guy's got the best release I've ever seen. Any quarterback, in the, and I've been around a while. Wow. Since I played, since I was my stars uh, uh, before me that uh, I was in, in awe of growing up, this kid's special, and he's a once-in-a-decade or once-in-a-millennium player, and he will be in the Hall of Fame, I guarantee you, pending he stays healthy. But, you know, right now it's kind of tough to go out there and play, and it's frustrating to see the Texans lose a game last week that you felt that they should have won, but they got a lot of injuries, and unfortunately this game is very violent, and you still have the injuries, and that's what kind of concerns me about they need to get the protection up front to keep this kid on his feet, and you keep him there, you're going to have a lot of great years, and I think that the Texans are going to have great years from here on if, if they don't, you oh. know. Yeah, people don't get hurt like they are right, right well, now. Right, well, get, get like some that. depth, get some depth, yep. and, and uh, take care of that guy. Don't I want to th- ask you something about the release, though. One second. You mentioned the release and how good it is. Can you describe why you think it's so good? Because I, I have trouble verbalizing it. It just comes out so effortlessly, the ball. There's no wasted motion. I mean, from his feet 
to his shoulder, to his hands, to his hips. Every, everything is in, it's like po- poetry in motion. That's, that's the most fluid-throwing motion I've ever seen. Wow. It must be something about Californians playing quarterback in the city of Houston. I mean, that's worked out. It worked out with you. Hopefully it works well, out with Number CJ. seven's a good number. Too, that is a know. good number, yeah. And, I mean, thank God to Kaimi Fairbairn for giving it up uh, <laughs> to make sure that, that he gave that to, to CJ at that point. You've been through that process. You've been a rookie. Dan, seeing his success as a rookie – was that shocking? Because you know what rookies go through. You know that process of, oh, my gosh, I'm in the NFL. I'm seeing NFL defenses. There aren't a lot of rookies that succeed at the level that CJ's succeeding. Was it surprising to see him have this type of success? I know, obviously, the concussions lately, I get that. But before the injury, was it surprising to see the success he was having as a young quarterback? Because it felt like everybody was just playing. He was playing at such a high level from everybody else. Like, you'd have thought they were all rookies and he was the veteran. Is it surprising that he's had the success he's had as a rookie? In a way, yes, and in a way, no. Um, again, I go back to his, his uh, leadership and his, his wanting to play, his will to play, and his desire to play. And, you know, the way he practices, uh, I've never, I haven't been over to any practices. I'd love to go over there sometime and watch, but, you know, I just see the kid play, but the leadership qualities and plus the fact that the type of football they're playing in the college level now is very similar to what they, they carry over to the pros, right? The pros, the old pros have learned a lot from the college game because a lot of the college coaches go back and or pro coaches go back and coach mm-hmm. college and vice versa. But it's it's a, it's an easier transition for them because they were more similar to the systems that they were growing up with. Um, the defenses they see are not going to change that much. You can only cover so many areas of the field, and the, the difference is the quality of players at each position. Now all of a sudden that window of opportunity shrinks. Yep. You know, in high school it's about like this, in college it's like this. Well, in the pros it's like this, and you better anticipate. Right. And he's just got that vision. That third eye that is enables that anticipation, and the the mind takes over the arm and the ball follows through it, and it's just it's poetry to watch. Yep. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy was leading the league, and there's there's a lot of pros out there that have been around for 10, 15 years yeah, right. that can't keep up with this kid, yep. and he's kind of showing he's teaching them all. Hey, you know, this is my way of playing. Right. You're going to see a lot of changes in the game because of him. Wow. Dan Pastoridi joining us. He's a Texas gridiron legend. We're at the chairman's reception for the Tax Act Texas Bowl, which is tomorrow, 8 o'clock, Texas A&M and Oklahoma State. Coaching matters. D'Amico Ryans, yeah. what is your observation on what impact he's had on this whole thing? I was excited when they announced him the head coach. I said, this is going to be a big change. And he was a player. He's young enough to relate to the players now. You know, you don't have some old guy standing up like me, standing up and telling these guys how it used to be in the old days. <laughs> this guy transitions from the game and goes right into coaching, and now he's a head coach. And, you know, young head coach. And I like I liked his play. I like his philosophy. I like the way he leads his, his team, and I like how he encourages, and he teaches. And he, he's got that, that teaching ability to not only make him a greater player, but make him a better man. And that's important. Mm. That's the quality of that he brings. And there's a lot of pride going around the city now. And I see, you know, we were here when it was a very proud time back in the Lovey Blue days. And I see that same infection going through the city. Mm. And it's a, it's, a nice, it's a nice feeling and it's a nice thing to see. And I'm anxious to see how it comes, the, how it comes out. I hope I'm around long enough. Dan, 
Texans in the playoff race. Now, the last three years, we have not been. No. That's been clear. How important is it for a team that's still relatively young, a lot of rookies that have played a lot for the Texans this year, how important is it for them to just get in the playoffs? And, and even not even playing in the playoffs, but these next two games are absolutely massive. They're almost like playoff games. Yeah. But how big a deal is it for them to get in the playoffs to help them for future years? Hey, we've been there. We've done this. How much did it help you when you guys first got into playoffs to help you guys in successive years? Well, we were – we were not expected to make the playoffs and then we we just when we finally made the playoffs it was like okay we're here now let's let's focus and let's show them what we can do right and you take a whole different attitude you take a whole different attitude of belonging you don't you don't feel like okay we just squeaked in because we're a wild card team right we we made the playoffs we survived the season we survived injuries right. we still had to play through injuries uh, and it's just it's a growing process, but it's something you you learn to get used to, and they're getting used to that winning attitude now. And that's if you make the playoffs, it's a different it's a different season, you know. And they they have if you make it, that's great. Yep. It's a great building block. And I think if they do, fine. But if they don't, they're going to be all right. And they have everything stacked against them right now because of injuries. Mm-hmm. But if they can overcome that, and who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. If yep. you get the quarterback back, anything's possible yep. as well. Very but what, what was it like when, when you did start to believe? Because when you first made it, the ramp up to actually making it, that campaign, can you take us through some of the feelings as you started to get some success and thinking, hey, this is all possible? Well, you know, it's always fascinating to see the, the picksters, you know, pick you as a three-point underdog or five-point, <laughs> whatever it was. I said, how the hell do those guys figure that stuff out? I mean, now, come on, we're out here drinking. They never see us practice, you know. <laughs> how the hell do they know what I'm feeling or what I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. you know? But, uh, you know, it, it's funny how it works out that way. But, you know, analytics are one thing. But, you know, it's just an attitude. They've got to get that attitude. And uh, once you develop it and you get the people around you believing I, you know, it's it's just takes flight. It's something it, you can't put your finger on. But once they're getting a taste of it, they're, the whole city's getting a taste of it again. But they're getting a taste of it, and this is something that's new to them. They've never been in this position before, yep. and they're they'll be all right. You know, if they don't make it, I'm not I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about keeping CJ healthy, getting the players back that need to be be back healthy, and then anything can happen in the next month or two. You know, you can still heal in that particular time. And if you got a few guys that can play wounded, great. But, you know, you don't want to get any catastrophes. Dan, how important was it for your teams to have continuity from year to year? I know the NFL is different. Than you always hear, well, the 22 team is not what the 23 team is. It's not what the 24 team is. But you can have this core that stays together for a certain number of years. How was that for you guys in just keeping your core together, and how important was it to have that continuity year after year after year? Well, unfortunately, you as a player's core and the ownership and development of the coaching staff's core are two different things. You know, we've made friends throughout our careers, guys that we played with for many, many years, and then guys that went off and had to be traded and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of out of the control of the player, and that's more the control of the the management and in the ownership. And the the thing that, you know, broke my heart was leaving Houston. And, uh, you know, that was just a a long long story. But, you know, leaving here and and leaving that team was, you know, tough. And, uh, you know, even though 
you know, things didn't turn out for me, and, and they didn't really turn out for Houston either. And, and Bum was gone, and it was all broken up. So it's, yeah. it's a very fragile thing to keep all of those ingredients in the, in the bowl. Right. And if you can keep that, if you can keep the management behind you and you can keep the coaching staff behind you and the players, it's great. But you, you can only play so many years, and you got to make changes. Yep. We know your heart is here, but when you go to the Raiders, you go back to California – what was Al Davis like then to be around? This is a G-rated show, right? Yeah, yeah. it's a family <laughs> show. Let's go on to the next. Let's go on to the next. Next topic. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to talk about that. No, no, no. Okay, all right. Not a good. Not, it's it's not yeah, topic. that wasn't good. Right. Sorry about that. Sorry. Uh, how bizarre was it? Maybe I should hesitate to ask this one too. I, I am very glad that the Titans do recognize the Oilers players. I am glad for that. I know it's a. Weird dynamic, but it how is. bizarre was it to see the uniforms and see the current Houston team playing those guys wearing those uniforms? And I called them the fake Oilers because, you know, I have some feeling about this myself, actually. Yeah, and it's very different sure. from what you have. But I thought, well, these are the Houston guys and those aren't. And it just seems strange that the people in Nashville are thinking, well, what's going on here? Because we never had these. So what was it like for you observing all that going down? Well, I kind of... I knew it was going to happen. I, I, was, I found out about it from Amy last year when we were there for the reunion. I thought it was nice that she reached out and brought us in for the reunion of the Tennessee Titans and the, and the Houston Oilers. And it was kind of a good feeling to have some association with, it, with a team. Houston was our city. Houston is our city. I still live in the city, and I love Houston. I'll never leave Houston. Mm-hmm. When the Texans came in, it was a very bad taste in, in our mouths because they didn't want anything to do with us. And... We didn't really have anything to do with them, but, you know, we didn't have anything to do with Tennessee either. Right. So we'd like to stay here. We'd like to keep it here. I mean, my I pulled for Houston. That was a game I just kind of watched. I couldn't pull against my uniforms, but, you <laughs> yeah. know, I was still wanting – I want the Texans to win. But, uh, you know, they're, they're – it's, it's one of those business deals that you look, at, you look back through the history. If they'd have given Bud Adams his stadium for $340 million, we'd still be here and we wouldn't have this conversation. Yeah. The Texans would, wouldn't, be, wouldn't be here either. So, but instead, he left. And then the city had to do something. Lanier had to do something. So now he brings in the franchise, a new NFL franchise, and a Bob new had ownership. To pay twice that to twi- get it. <laughs> it paid $1.75 billion to build a stadium, get yeah. a franchise, and get a team going, which I'm sure – you ask Cal about that. That's not that's not a nice big nut to pay, but they could have just built the stadium and everybody would have been happy. That's that's the logistics. That's the finances of it, and that's the facts of it. Mm-hmm. Now, it's their uniform. It's their team. It's their Oilers. Yeah, yeah. It belongs to them. The Adams family. They can do what they want. Right. So we shouldn't. The best thing to do is just say, hey. We're glad we got our Texans here now. Let's go on from here. Yeah. But everybody wants to fight change in, in ways. You know, I'm just happy the city's got a great football team now. Or a good, they will have a great football team. And they're building. And they're, they're showing a lot of class through the people they've hired, the players they've drafted, and how they play football. It's my kind of football. I enjoy it. Dan, when you're in and around the city, for people that have gone through the Love You Blue era, and you can, you'll know who those people are because they'll tell you. Oh, I was here for Love You Blue. Yep. When you run into those people that were here for Love You Blue, what's the one thing they want to ask you about or talk to you about the most? What it was like. What it was like. And it's funny. I, I get it all the time. Yeah. Every day of my life now. I'll go to the grocery store. I'll be out 
somebody will come up and shake my hand. It'd be like 60 years. And they, they kill it by saying, you know, when I was nine years old. <laughs> I, go, I watched you, you when know, I was a kid. Yeah, you could have left that part off. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. just thank me, you know. But it's really, it, it, you can see the faraway look in their life. The Love You Blue era will live on forever. And it was, it, that's, it's nice to be part of history here in this town. And that's something I can never take. They can't take the memories away. Right. And, and I'm grateful for that. <coughs> Excuse me. But the thing is that, that the city is still hungry, and football is the main sport in this town. I mean, yeah. No offense to the Astros, too. I mean, the Astros are great. Sure. I love the Astros. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, no offense to the other teams, but football is, is king. Yep. Uh, and and they, they just want, they want that. They're hungry for a good football team, and they'll do anything for it. But yep. it's nice that they remember, and I'm grateful that they Absolutely. remember. Well, one thing I'm really grateful about is, you know, I got here in 2002. I wasn't born here. Got here as fast as I could, like you. Yep. But I got here a little later. But Well, we were both drafted. But to me, <laughs> I'm, a, yeah, I'm a Texan. But, you know, yeah. I really love doing those shows with you and GIF on fun. Channel 11. And fun. you coming on with me on Sports Radio 610 an hour a week. That was awesome. And eventually we get the bum phillips influence with the houston texans because wade comes in bum walks out of the tunnel when the texans have their first ever playoff game and i could still feel the hair standing up on the back of my neck i'm just thinking there's no way we're losing this game today you've walked out of that tunnel and you've been recognized as a texas gridiron legend and things like that so i'm happy for that like you pointed out that we can have some of that and who knows where it goes in the future because you're right that love you blue stuff will live forever no doubt yeah it was just a different time a different place and a different era yep absolutely dan thanks so much for joining us it's always so much fun pleasure to be with you again partner this is the first interview i've ever done with you where i don't bring up killer fish your hit movie oh it wasn't there you go yeah oh i just gotta go there i don't know why i did it gotta go there i mean we were doing a great job over here dan he's gotta go muck it up i I was still hoping i might have had a shot (laughs) i think i still got a shot all right, there's Dan Pastorini. I joked about the movie Killer Fish. Dan was in a movie called Killer Fish, which nobody saw, maybe friends and relatives, that kind of thing. Uh, but Dan did a bunch of Hollywood stuff back in the day. In fact, I went on a deep dive wormhole exploration and found that he was on an episode of Fantasy Island playing, guess what, a quarterback. Uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, so I watched his scenes in that episode. Just fun stuff with Dan right there. And his comments on C.J. Stroud were amazing. All right. Texans, Titans, the sequel. We all know what happened the first time. It was an epic game. And I don't use that word lightly for what we saw in Nashville a couple of weeks ago. But now you're at home. You got to have it. It's huge. And let's get into it with another visit with the voice of the Titans, Mike Keith. Mike, we just caught up recently. I liken this whole thing to we had part one of the movie. Now it's the sequel, The Texans and the Titans. And the first one was a doozy. Here we go with part two. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing just fine. I, I think the only problem for you, Mark, is you're going to have to change your Titans spot charts considerably from the game two weeks ago. Because we have had some moving parts with guys going to IR, guys joining the team, guys becoming starters. Uh, We are a beat-up football team at this moment in time as we head for NRG Stadium. Well, we just re-signed or reacquired Kareem Jackson from the Denver Broncos. So I wonder what veteran you're going to get from the Tennessee Titans history. (laughs) We'd need about five right now. Uh, they're, they're maybe Javon curse. 
yeah. somebody <laughs> like that would be would be really handy at this moment. As a matter of fact, last Sunday, Mark, our starting defensive line and our starting secondary featured no one who started the season opener at New Orleans. There are only wow. three guys on defense who yeah, it'd be when they introduced the starting defense. And eight of them were guys that most of the fans didn't know. The, the crowd responded positively. You know, they certainly cheered their players. But you could almost see the inquisitive looks on their faces around the stadium. Like, who are these guys now? Who is this? Um, and, and that's really what it looked like. Then finally, Danico Autry and, and Harold Landry and Aziz Alshire were introduced. Like, oh, yes, this is the starting defense. So it's, uh, it's been a little bit of a rerun in the last two weeks like what the last two years have been. And, you know, we've been through kind of this crazy injury thing for two years mm. this year, not nearly as bad, but just recently it has hit. And you get to the point in the season now where if a guy potentially can't play this week, you have to go ahead and put him on IR just so you can get a body in who can cover kicks and who can play on yeah. the extra point team and so on and so forth. Yeah, great point there. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, joining us. All right, last time out, the Texans did a tremendous job against Derrick Henry. And then, of course, I monitored his progress against the Seahawks. And it wasn't an explosive game, but he was certainly back. He was productive, uh, caught a pass, threw a touchdown pass, and obviously looked pretty good running the football. So what do you make of it? His comments after the Texans and Titans played last time were very they weren't cryptic they were very descriptive and it just felt like the end might be near but I don't know what's going to happen I just know he's going to be out there Sunday giving it his best your thoughts on Derek 100% right you know they they certainly did some things better I don't think the Seahawks are as good up front overall as what the Texans are so that factored in but they schematically they did some things they changed a little bit of personnel in there and that kind of helped them but Henry was clearly motivated you know, whenever you get these professionals who are great players, and you've seen this throughout your time in the league with not only Texans, but players that you've played against, when they come off of a game that is like that, their pride takes over, and you know you're going to get something quite different in the next game. And, and clearly, Derek showed something very different uh, in the game against the Seahawks. Had they been able to run him in the fourth quarter, which unfortunately they only really had two drives and one of them was a two minute drive. They, he would have piled up more yardage, but he ran harder. He was more decisive. And I, I thought all of the pieces went together and, and worked very, very well for the, the run game. 31 carries, 162 yards overall. And that factored in some good running too from Tajay Spears. And Mike, Will Levis, Look, I know as the week began, you don't know what the situation's going to be. But in general, his progress, look, I know the Titans didn't get the win the last time Will Levis played, but you certainly see some signs, some potential there, some hope for the future. What do you think the general feeling is about Will Levis, and what's yours? I think internally what they've been excited about with Will Levis is that he runs the offense, that he plays quarterback. The statement was made, I think it was a good thing, so many guys come out of college having run plays and then other guys are playing quarterback. There are a lot of guys that come out of college now that have been running plays that get to the league and have to learn how to play quarterback because this guy was at Penn state and at Kentucky and played for NFL style coaches. 
guys who've literally have been in the NFL. I think what you see from him is there's an understanding of how you run the team, how you run the offense, how you handle the huddle, how you call a play. And because of that confidence, Mark, there's a decisiveness to him. Uh, he, he has tremendous physical tools. I mean, his arm is just amazing, but he's a really bright guy who's into every detail of being this team's quarterback. So do you have your answer for the future 100%? Well, you never know that. I mean, we've had guys be rookie of the year here at quarterback, and then their career goes in a different direction. Anything can happen. But do you see the right signs? Do you see all of the markers and the boxes being checked off and those sorts of things? Yes, you do. And I think that's why people are so confident in, in Will Levis to this point. Long way to go, but he has shown a whole lot that he has the ability to be not just a credible NFL quarterback, but maybe a real good one. Mike, as you observe what is happening down the stretch here in the AFC South, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence all banged up. What do you make of what they're going through right now? It's almost similar. I know there are differences, but it feels like almost what the Titans went through second half of last year where you had some good things going on, but then injuries and whatnot crept into the situation and you had that final do-or-die game with the Jags. What do you think of them this year, what they're going through? I think it's exactly what we went through last year. Uh, the key injuries at certain points, bad luck, uh, getting out of sync, sort of not being able to execute what it is you do. I mean, they we played them, and I mean, they absolutely handled the Titans. I mean, it was it, it, they they looked like we left there after that ball game, and you're thinking that's a team that can win the whole thing. If they go play like this, they can win the whole thing. And then watching them this week. You're like, who are these people? And that's what the Titans did last year. And it just goes to show about the NFL. You know, if at one moment, you know, it can all go sideways. I mean, it was four years ago. The Titans made the playoffs at nine and seven and beat the number one seed and the number two seed mm. and, and really handled both those teams and then went to Kansas City and then they were ahead. Kansas City had to come from behind to win the AFC championship game. That was a nine and seven team. It can go both ways. And that's why everybody's just trying to get in the tournament. You're trying to battle your way into the tournament because you never know what can happen. They're going to have to turn it around in a big hurry or they're not going to make the tournament. All right. So you're looking at it from the outside, seeing the Colts, Texans and Jags battle for playoff spots. What do you think happens down the stretch here with these teams? Because the Titans can really play spoiler multiple times here. Well, two times with these final two contests. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to do uh, because the, the Titans are going to be in a position where they're having to come to Houston and then they're having to play Jacksonville in week 18 in a game that Jacksonville is no matter what happens this weekend, clearly going to need to win. So you're, you're the, the spoiler aspect thing is somewhat appealing. Tried to play spoiler in the Seattle game. They needed to win that one as well. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that matters as much. I think it's about matchup. Uh, to me, Houston is in a great position right now, not knowing exactly where Indianapolis is with some of their skilled people. And then seeing Jacksonville having the difficulties that they have. They desperately need to win this game this week against Carolina, a game they should win based on just talent. 
because if they come to Nashville having lost five in a row, that may make it more interesting than what you know, because as, as what happened with us last year, uh, when we walked into that last game having lost six in a row, then you're in a position, Mark, where you're saying, yes, and, and we were ahead with three minutes to go and would have won the division for a third straight year, but you didn't have that confidence, right? You didn't mm. have that self-assured play down the stretch where you said, yeah, we're ahead right now. You know, we're just going to go ahead and win this game. Um, that's where you don't want to be. Everybody had a bad weekend last weekend. You flush it, you go on. And I think, you know, that's obviously what the Texans are trying to do this weekend. That's what the Titans are trying to do too. This is a team that in spite of being down personnel wise has played some pretty doggone good football over the last five weeks for stretches, been very competitive. You know, the Houston game, very competitive beat Miami somehow had a mm. chance to beat Seattle, had a chance to beat Indianapolis. Um, if this team keeps playing that way, they may get somebody at some point because, and I think it's a credit to Mike Vrabel. They're doing what he wants to do. They're playing the complimentary football. If they can limit the mistakes, even with the talent, they're giving themselves a chance. And we'll see. Yep. I mean, very close games, no question about it, last two times out after the win against the Dolphins. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, joining us. All right, so the Texans and Titans both played the Ravens, both lost to the Ravens. We just saw what the Ravens did to the 49ers. Are the Ravens that good? Was it a great day for them and a subpar day for the 49ers? What do you think of the Ravens here and how the rest of the AFC up top, anyway, shapes out going into the postseason, Mike? I think those are the two best teams right now. Now, what goes from here? How does San Francisco respond to that? And how does Baltimore respond to that? Is this Baltimore's high watermark and they think they've really got it and then they don't play as well, especially with, you know, having Miami coming up, a team that can certainly drive you crazy. Um, if I'm San Francisco, I like having that game with the thought that, you know, their coaching staff, everybody associated saw the Ravens at their best. If there were to be another meeting in the Super Bowl coming up in February in Las Vegas, I think you like having seen their best against you on tape for the adjustments that you'll be able to make. Uh, you know, I, I do think it's Baltimore's race to run right now because when we saw them in London and we left London, my feeling about them was they've got a chance to get considerably better, and they have, Mark. They, they've mm -hmm. continued to improve throughout the course of the year, and they have Lamar Jackson not hurting at this point in the season for the first time in a long time. Yeah, that's a big deal. And you talked about when the Titans were 9-7, and seven, knocking off Baltimore, knocking off New England on the way to Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. What about the Chiefs? Because that game that you played against them, historically, recent history, they've been so good. But right now, not so much. What do you think of what they're going through? I just don't think they're a real good football team right now. I, I just don't think there's any part of them that's really functioning at that high level. And I, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But there are certain things that even when they lost games, they could say, eh, whatever, we'll come back and we'll lean on, you know, Patrick Mahomes and we'll get this fixed. And I don't think that's just enough right now 
because there are enough teams in the AFC that have worked so hard to develop rosters and strategies to beat them. You know, that, and that's what you do. If you want to compete, if you, if you want to play that kind of football, then you've got to be able to match up with them. And I think Baltimore has set a roster to do it. I think Buffalo set a roster to do it. You know, I think Miami has certainly set a roster to be able to go right at them. And so there's that ebb and flow. And you know this too, Mark, when you get good in this league, then what happens is you either have to pay guys to keep them or you let guys walk because you can't pay everybody. Well, they're going through that cycle right now. It's some of what that has affected the Titans this year is the Titans were paying off some contracts of guys who were either not playing for them anymore, retired, or were not performing to the level of what they were when they initially got those contracts. Well, so the ebb and flow is that the Titans, had they won a couple of close games, Titans might be eight and seven right now. But this was going to be a transition year. Now, what happens is you get $80 million to spend in the offseason. And you've got eight draft picks. And suddenly you've got a chance to come back quickly if you found your quarterback. We all go through the cycles. Everybody yep. deals with it. And I think Kansas City's dealing with it right now. Great analysis there, Mike. Well, thanks so much for the time, as always. And we look forward to seeing you on New Year's Rockin' Eve when the Texans and Titans get together again. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you too, Mark. Thanks for having me on. There it is for the podcast today. Mike Keith and, of course, Dan Pastorini. And that's going to do it. Texans, Titans, noon, Sunday, live, Sports Radio 610, the Bull 100.3 FM, the Texans app, the Odyssey app, all the apps. Listen in, watch it, enjoy it. If you're going to the game, please be early. Texans need you. This is a must-have game for your postseason aspirations. If you don't win this one, you need a ton of help and weird things to happen. Let's not get into it. It is humongous. Great to have you listening. Thank you. Go Texans.